0: To invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 9. Um, I want to begin in verse uh, 21 and just remind you where we were a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about Peter's great confession, which actually was more like Peter's great revelation. Because um, I'm not sure entirely Peter knew that he was going to confess that. And uh it's very clear that he didn't think it up. Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood uh, has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has shown you this. And as it kind of boarded out of his mouth, you are the Christ, and we take all the Gospels together and, and compile them, the full statement is you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, uh as... Peter makes this confession, Jesus um, begins to kind of ramp up his training of them. Uh, This is a pivotal moment, and he is beginning now to um, speak with them much more clearly about the nature of his mission and the responsibility of their discipleship. It's kind of like turning a corner and, and uh you know moving from high school into college. They're they're about ready to go to the next level that is going to prepare them for the future ministry that they're going to have. I'm reading from Philip's translation this morning because I think it's just particularly good. I read a number of different translations on this passage. But beginning in verse 21, um, you can follow whatever version you're using. Jesus expressly told them not to say a word to anyone, at the same time warning them of the inevitability of the Son of Man's great suffering, of His repudiation by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and of His death and being raised to life again on the third day. Then he spoke to them all. If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself. Carry his cross every day and keep close behind me. For the man who wants to save his life will lose it, but the man who loses his life for my sake will save it. For what is the use of a man gaining the whole world if he forfeits his own soul? And if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the simple truth, there are men standing here today who will not taste death until they have seen the kingdom of God. Now, I've titled the message this morning, The Cost of Discipleship, and I think it goes without saying that it clearly fits the passage. Jesus, having explained to his disciples uh, what's in store for him, uh, says to them, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and come after me. Now, in my background, the tradition in which I grew up, um, this was viewed as kind of an tier two level of being a Christian. You know, there there were those who were the ordinary Christians. And they um, had received Jesus and forgiveness of sins. They wanted to go to heaven when they died. They didn't particularly want to be bothered too much by Him in the meanwhile. Um, They kind of wanted to live life on their own terms, but they wanted to be sure they had, shall we say, fire insurance. And then Tier 2 Christians, those were the ones that opted for a plane of discipleship. Preachers were in that category, and uh, missionaries were in that category, and, and, and every once in a while a deacon or two. Uh, might have that kind of commitment. But most people were, uh, in, in the rather ordinary category. I want you to know that there is nowhere in Scripture where this kind of, uh, two level Christianity is taught. Uh, and no one ever became a Christian by coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sin. I really want to go to heaven. I'd really like to ask you to forgive me. And I uh, want to receive you as my Savior. And I want to go to heaven when I die. And I really don't want you to bother me in the meanwhile. Just, Just leave me alone. Let me live my life on my own terms. No one ever becomes a Christian like that. It's preposterous. We know that. But, by the same token, there are people who genuinely come to Christ broken and earnest and sincere and with all of their being at the moment intend to follow Him. And then life gets in the way. And other things begin to happen and they get sidetracked. And... I remember Laura Livingston talking about the revival in Cote d'Ivoire and West Africa and saying that there were so many thousands of people that came to Christ so suddenly. <clears throat> there, there were not enough people to adequately disciple them. And as a consequence, she said the church was a mile wide and an inch deep. And that also happens. Uh, Many times people come to Christ with all sincerity, but they don't have adequate discipling. They don't have adequate training. Uh, No one explains to them uh, what it means to embrace Jesus Christ and follow Him in the way. And sometimes uh, the gospel that they have heard has actually been faulty. I'm not going to presume to make a judgment as to whether those people are born again or not. But I want to say to you this morning that whatever um, way you came to Christ, you need to listen today and evaluate where you are. Because Jesus makes it clear, and I'm about to make it clear, from what He said, what it means to be His follower. And it's not an option. And it's not the um, extra credit assignment it is what it means to follow Jesus Christ and by the way on the other side of the coin um, if you are finding that Jesus isn't working for you and that your Christian life is not very satisfying you may discover this morning that you're missing some commitment that makes all the difference in the world. Because the the joy and the blessing of following Jesus really comes within these terms. Jesus, having acknowledged that Peter is is dead on the money with his Revelation, his statement, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, says, "Fellows, my mission, the reason I came is to seek and to save that which was lost. That's my mission. And at this point, from this point on, I am headed to Jerusalem. And when I get there, the Son of Man is going to be rejected by the Pharisees, and by the elders and the rulers, and he's going to be killed. And on the third day, he will rise again. Some of the other Gospels inform us that it was at this point that Peter, who had just uttered this amazing, insightful, spiritual statement, turns right around and says, Lord, that is never going to happen to you. And Jesus has to go 180 degrees the other way and say, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are not seeking the purposes of God, but of man. And it's amazing how dramatically we can vacillate sometimes. But Jesus was making it clear that in order to purchase our redemption, in order to to cover our sin in order to make it possible for us to come back into fellowship with the Father. He had to go to the cross. He had to die. And He had to rise. And this was the mission. And it's that that leads Him to say to them, if anyone is going to follow Me, He must deny Himself and take up His cross And follow me, because if you think you're going to save your life in this world, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're really going to find it. And what does it profit if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? You see, Jesus is speaking to us in plain terms with high stakes. This is very clear. What what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And so the first thing he says is, you must deny yourself. Now, what does that mean, to deny yourself? Well, one of the things that it surely means, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to... Deny yourself, it means you must give up your rights. I'm not talking about what you think are your rights. I'm talking about what are your rights. You know, when this country was founded, it was a great vision and, and experiment in democracy and among the things that were kind of indelibly uh, written in the in the conscience of the founders was that every human being had the right to life to liberty and the ability to pursue their happiness that those were inalienable rights that they were ours But today, across the world, followers of Jesus Christ are being asked to give up their right to live. Deny me. Deny Jesus and live. Affirm your faith and die. They're being asked to give up their right to life. Across the world, they're being asked to give up their right to liberty. If you insist on following Jesus, we're going to put you in this workhouse and you're going to spend the rest of your life there in slave labor. We're not going to have any of these Jesus followers around here. They're being asked to give up their right. To do the things they would like to do. Legitimate things. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you will come under my lordship. You will come under my authority. You will submit to me and you will give up your rights. And friends, we have all kinds of rights that we can legitimately claim. But I submit to you that every time you're confronted with an an approach, an affront to your rights, you need to talk to Jesus about it. And you need to find in your heart before Him, is this the time that I need to stand on principle because of principle's Itself, there are times when we must stand. God wants us to stand. Not for our sake, but because there's something larger at stake. And there are times when we have to surrender and say, Lord, I'd rather be your follower than have my right. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians? They were so frustrated with one another. Uh, they were taking each other to court. They were filing lawsuits in the public venue. and Paul said, "What is this I hear? You believers, you're taking each other to court. How embarrassing! How tragic for the cause of Christ you're You're bringing reproach to his name. How sad that that there's not one person in in your fellowship that has enough wisdom to make a a judgment call. You're going outside the body of Christ and you're bringing reproach on the church. Wouldn't you rather be wronged? (laughs) And they were saying, No! I want my way! I, I've been offended. I I'm do this. I'm going to sue for it. Wouldn't you rather be wronged? We're called to give up our rights. To follow Jesus Christ. In light of a much greater cause. And then he says, or it means... It encompasses the forfeiture of our personal desires. As followers of Jesus, we do not have the right to indulge our wants and emotions outside of His will and purpose for us. You know, I I was long thinking about making an entire message out of this first phrase, you must deny yourself, because I could spend a whole message on this phrase. In fact, I've already spent a good part of this one on this race, and I'm not done yet. Um, But I was thinking about what happens to societies and cultures, to to nations, as they move into decline. And you can trace this through world history. When a a nation begins to decline, when it begins to fall into, uh, you know, debauchery and lasciviousness and and uh, all kinds of uh, just uh, lack of vision and lack of purpose. It's because over time, more and more, people have given way to their emotions to do as they please. And there's nothing in the rule of law to stop it. Uh, You can think back in our own nation 30, 50, 100 years ago. There are things that are broadcast today on billboards that people would never have whispered in the dark about a hundred years ago because of the onus of of the culture uh, against such behavior. Now people are free to do whatever they want to do. They're free to to let their emotions rule, whatever their desires are, whatever their yearnings are, go fulfill them. We keep drawing the circle broader and broader around a whole uh, cluster of bad behavior that we call emotional disorders, and we ascribe to them names of mental illness and attribute them to physical problems, and we make this a great big circle, and we're always enlarging it when it's nothing more than bad behavior. People... People today have more psychological disorders than I've ever heard of, and, and they need medicine, and they need to be treated with sympathy, because they they have an illness, they have a they have a an imbalance that and they can't control themselves. <clears throat> Let me be quick to say that. Whether or not you have an imbalance, which may or may not be the case, and whether you think it's the cause of your emotions or caused by your emotions, there is no excuse in Scripture for bad behavior. I don't care who you are, the Holy Spirit will enable you to behave correctly. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. He will always give you the capacity to exercise self-control. And friends, we have no right to live in the realm of our emotions. In the denial of self, God desires to bring our will under the authority of His Lordship and in the power of His Spirit to enable us to do what is right no matter the cost. Witness Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that He was arrested as He prays to the Father. And... There, alone, in that place, in such agony of soul and spirit, that he is perspiring profusely. You know, people do that in times of crisis. There's a medical term for it, it's diaphoresis. They they get diaphoretic, and they begin to sweat. They do that when they're having a heart attack. They do that when they're ha- having severe uh, pain in the abdomen. They, they, uh, they do that under great tension. And Jesus is experiencing that tremendous tension, but the Scripture says it went further than that, even that, that His blood vessels began to rupture, and, and it became mingled with His sweat, so that He was sweating drops of blood. And Jesus is praying in that agony of soul and spirit, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And, and he prays again. And as Jesus in his humanity is facing his mortality and an awful and horrendous death, and he's crying out in the agony of his spirit in that moment. And also the awareness because of who he is that he is going to be separated from the Father. And that has never happened in eternity. If there's any way, there is no question that Jesus wanted to avoid the cross But when the soldiers came to arrest him, and they asked if he was, in fact, Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am. And they fell on the ground. They couldn't touch him without his consent. They didn't take him. He went with them. He submitted himself to the beating. He submitted Himself to the carrying of the cross beam. He submitted Himself to be nailed to the cross. He allowed it to happen. Because it was what needed to be done. Not what He wanted to do. But what He must do. If He is to effect redemption and salvation for us. He willingly chose a path. That was contrary to his feelings. Don't make a mistake in thinking that Jesus did not have emotion about that event. But he chose the will of the Father above it. We do not have the right to be led by our emotions. Where are the people today who will stand up and do what is right no matter the cost? No matter how bad it makes them feel. No matter how bad they feel when they start to do it. That's maturity. And that's what God wants to bring us to in Jesus Christ where the will under the authority of the power of the Holy Spirit makes a choice regardless of how we feel or what we prefer. We choose the right, and we do it. We don't have a right to our own emotions. Oh, we're going to have emotions, but we don't have a right to be led by them. In fact, human beings are at their lowest when they're governed by their emotions. And they're at their highest and most mature and sublime when despite their emotions they are guided by a will that is submitted to the Father to do the will of God. And we must surrender our ambition to deny ourselves. When Jesus was dealing with me many years ago, All my life, I had the ambition to be one thing, and Jesus was asking me to give that up. I had a sneaking suspicion what else he might have in mind, but I didn't have a confirmation of that. He just handed me a blank contract, and he said, sign your life over to me. You want me to transform you? You want me to change you? You're unhappy and dissatisfied? You want abundant life? Here's a blank contract. Sign your name. Let me choose your future. Surrender your ambition. Wow. I didn't want to do that. We wrestled over that question for months. Finally, he won. <laughs> I got more miserable. He got more persistent. There came the day when I said, Lord, I give up. I surrender. Whatever you want to do. And in that moment, he changed me. In that moment. He kept his word. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. Daily, Now, there's some confusion around this phrase a bit because we are given to believe in Romans chapter 6 that our death on the cross was a once and for all experience that occurred in Jesus Christ by faith when we believed. In fact, Paul makes that very clear in Romans 6. We have been crucified with Christ. We died with Him. It's our baptismal formula. It's the one I use. Buried with Christ by baptism into death and raised with Him to walk in a brand new life. We died with Jesus Christ once for all in the moment of our salvation. All that was true of Him becomes true of us as we are placed in Him. So what is this business about taking up your cross daily and following him, if that is an accomplished fact? I think Jesus is actually talking about something else here. Sometimes in our conversation we do this. We'll we'll make up a comparison or a metaphor that perhaps is not a common one. Maybe we made it up ourselves on the spot But because of the context and the conversation, you know exactly what we mean. uh, Maybe I'm talking to you and I I make a comparison between this and something else and you say, Oh, I get it. Uh, You put the two together. I think the disciples had enough background of information and Roman law and culture that when Jesus said this, they understood what he was talking about. When a person under Roman law was condemned and sentenced to death by crucifixion, certain things transpired there at the judgment seat or the judgment hall. Now, the judgment hall was not the place of crucifixion. It was the place of the trial. And the, the magistrate or whomever was in charge... Made the determination and a decision regarding the outcome was made. And if it was, I sentence you to die by crucifixion, immediately certain things became true. First of all, the convicted guilty one was a beam was tied to their arms and they were made to carry that beam. All the way to the place of crucifixion. That's what it meant for them to take up a cross. But the other things that happened were, in that instant, they were considered persona non grata as far as humanity goes. They were stripped of every right they ever had. They lost their Uh, their inheritance. If they had a family inheritance, they lost it. It was taken from them. Even their family could not obtain it. They lost any right to any material property on the planet. And even their family suffered that loss. And from the moment that they left the judgment seat, They were headed to an absolutely certain death. And when they died, they were also denied the right to burial. They were left hanging typically on a cross for many, many days after they were dead as a a, a testimony to inspire fear for lawbreakers. And when finally there was nothing there but a rotting corpse, they threw it out for the vultures. I think what Jesus was saying to his disciples was, you need to recognize that if you're going to follow me, you become divested of all of your interest in this world and its systems. You surrender everything. You give it up. You don't hold anything too tightly. You don't claim anything too closely. You're a part of a a new kingdom. Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. And it's not. The writer of Hebrews said that those people looked for a, a, a city that had Real foundations whose builder and maker is God. Not not, um, not this stuff we have here that's soon going to melt like the elements with fervent heat. No, they looked for a city that had a real foundations whose builder and maker is God. And they did not count their lives as dear to themselves, whatever the price. They went out, not always knowing even where they were going, but seeking by faith that place of promise. Friends, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we cannot hold the world too closely. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And you need to come to that place where you have divested yourself of of interest uh, in this world system and its politics, and its economics. You do not need to be after worldly power or worldly uh, finances. You need to be seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You need to set your mind on things above where Christ is. You need to make a decision that you are going to transition from affection for this world to affection for me. And you may need to, to remind yourself of that on a daily basis. It's interesting. I, I was going to mention this in the next point, but I'll mention it here. These first two uh, commandments, I don't want to bore you with Greek grammar here this morning, but there are some important points. The first two are in the aorist imperative. The last one is in the present imperative. The aorist tense is a tense that emphasizes an action in a moment of time. It views it as a snapshot. It may have been a process, but it views it as having been done. It's just, it's history, it's over with. Whereas the present tense tends more to view it like a video, like a motion uh, image that is ongoing. And these first two commandments, Deny yourself, take up your cross, are both in the aorist imperative. Jesus means think about what I'm saying and make a decision and have done with it. Deny yourself. Come to that conclusion. Settle it. Determine that you are going to forsake the world. Come to that decision. Settle it. And then he says, you may have to reckon with that more often through your life. You and I may have to reckon with it this morning. You know, the problem with living here is we get comfortable. The more we hang out, the more comfortable we get. And and the more we like stuff, we we accumulate it. And Paul said no soldier entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life in order that he can please the one that enlisted him as a soldier. We are called to a rigorous life where we are able in a moment of time... To do whatever the Master says. So we cannot cling too much. We have to live with open palms. And the recognition that it may not last. Don't hang on. I I think that's what Jesus was saying to them. Deny yourself. Make a clean break with the world. Now, here's the present imperative. And come begin a journey with me. Come follow me. Walk in my footsteps. Jesus offers to us intimacy, he doesn't say, Follow my teaching. He doesn't say, follow my ideals, embrace my religion, join a church. He says, follow me, walk with me, come alongside me, and we'll walk together, and I'll point the way. And as we begin to walk with him, we get to know him. And as we come to know him, our love for him deepens. And as we obey him out of love, our commitment begins to grow to this one whom we follow. Friends, the gospel never places obedience ahead of love. That is nothing more than dead orthodoxy. The Bible always puts love first. And obedience flows from it. Lord, I love you. I want to please you. I want to please you. Lord, I love you. Tell me what to do. Lord, I love you. I want to follow after you. And... As we go along, we begin to grow into his likeness. That's what a disciple is, a learner who's growing like the master. It's interesting that John, when he describes the stages of spiritual development, he says, I've written to you children, you little children, I've written to you because... You have come to know the Father, and your sins are forgiven you. And isn't that what we tell someone when we share the Gospel with them? You can can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the payment that He made on the cross for you, and you can come back to peace with God and have fellowship with Him. We're speaking of the Father. And isn't that where we begin with forgiveness and cleansing, and reunion with the Father. And then John says, I'm writing to you young men um, because you're strong and the Word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one, the, the, the spiritual adolescence. They've assimilated the Scriptures. They've understood the enemy's workings. They've done enough battle with him. And, and, and they've learned how to deal with this, and so uh, they're strong and they're growing. But notice what he says of the fathers. If you read John, 1 John chapter 2 uh, and look at that very closely, uh, each one of those is kind of uh, synthetic. He adds uh, another phrase, but the fathers, he stays on the same note. And I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know him who is from beginning. And in John's language, that one from beginning is Jesus. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. I look at everything I've accomplished in my life, and you know what? As far as I'm concerned, it's nothing but a pile of dung. That I may know Jesus Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to the image of his death. I want to know Jesus. That's my passion in life. I want to know him. And I tell you, I've shared before, but it's a theme with me. Every time I pass one of those birthdays, it has a zero after the first number. And I realize another decade has passed and I'm getting closer to that time where I will meet him face to face if he tarries. I don't want to meet a stranger. I want to meet someone I know well with whom I have walked And spent the journey. And now, at the end of the course, I behold one that I have served and followed all my life. A familiar face. I want to recognize the one that I've come to know. I want to know Jesus. I want the security that that will bring. I want to have... The peace that that will give me. I want to have the confidence when I come to the end of the path that this one I know so well is waiting. Jesus offers that intimacy. But first, deny yourself, divest yourself of the world. Focus your heart and life on being a follower of Jesus Christ. Make it your only ambition to know Him and to walk with Him. And Jesus said, You will not forfeit your soul, and you will not have to worry about gaining the world and ending up a loser. You'll come to the end and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter the kingdom that I've prepared for you. Don't you want to know that? Where are you this morning in your commitment? Do you need to revisit one of these decisions? Aorist imperative. Make it. Make it. Decide, by the grace of God, turn the corner today. And then, step in the journey with Jesus and follow Him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for making it clear to us we don't have to wonder You have given us clear guidance. I pray this morning that everyone in this room can say with confidence, I have denied myself. I have forsaken the world. I have begun to follow Jesus Christ. I ask it in his name. Amen.